0: So I was, hoping, uh, I was hoping Brian was going to be in here today. Uh, he's back, uh, he's filling in for Miss Linda as they're away. And that's uh, something that you can be remembering uh, over the next couple days. Um, their daughter, Mary, is going to be going in for surgery tomorrow uh, up in Pittsburgh and uh, another knee surgery. Uh, so they, she's had, had the other one. They know what they're up against. Uh, but nonetheless, they could certainly use your prayers. If are traveling up today, we are praying for uh, traveling mercies. Uh, as well as that surgery to just to go really well um, and be successful. So, But I was telling Brian I, I had a letter that I wanted to read to him. It's from a customer to his insurance company. And it's a, it's a funny letter. And I don't know if Brian's ever gotten one of these letters before, but uh, listen to this. He says, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information. In block number three of the accident form, I put trying to do the job alone. ...as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more fully... ...and I trust that the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the date of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of this new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found that I had about 500 pounds of brick left over. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand... ...I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley... ...which fortunately was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor... Securing the rope at the ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went back to the ground, untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will note in block number 11 of the accident report that I weigh 135 pounds. (laughs) But to my surprise at being lifted off the ground so suddenly, I lost the presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope, in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel then weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight in block number 11. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles and the lacerations of my legs. The encounter with the barrel slowed me just enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks. And fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lie there in the bricks in pain, unable to stand, and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my presence of mine, and I let go of the rope. The empty barrel weighed more than the rope, so it came back down on me, and I now have two broken legs. I hope I have furnished the information you have required. I don't know, Caitlin, you guys ever get any letters or something like that? No, probably not. You know, the, the guy in this story um, could have used a little help. could have have used a little bit of teamwork, and I doubt he would have had the same issues. We're going to be back into our series called God is Greater Than. And here's something that's probably going to blow your mind a little bit. We started this series back in November of 2015. So you can imagine, it's not like I've been preaching every Sunday, so it's not like I'm slow. Uh, We've just been kind of working our way through it here and there. Um, And we've been working through the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. We've seen some pretty amazing things through the people of God, the nation of Israel. We found them in captivity, but we knew, of course, because we have the Bible, that God would be faithful to his word and his promise of taking them out of captivity, and he did. But, of course, we understand and we realize they were only in captivity because of the things that they did, their sin. So they, there was an exodus back to the land, uh, first under a guy named Zerubbabel, and then again with Ezra. And they saw God's faithfulness on their, uh, their time there. Ezra begins by, he has a, a project and he rebuilds the temple. The temple gets complete and then we move into the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, of course, was still in Babylon at the time. And he gets news as to how bad things were back home. And he is absolutely crushed by the news. He, he, he mourns and he prays for months that God would give him an opportunity to go back to the land. So his time comes and he is ready. He asks the king permission. The king says, yeah, yup, go ahead. He, he got permission. He makes a long trek home, which, by the way, probably would have taken about four months. And then when he gets there, he finds out that it was just as he had been told. The, 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 the walls were in disarray. He inspects the walls. He sees that they've been broken down and, per- and burned down. But he had a plan. And so he shares it with his people. And the people rally around it and agree. They say, you know what? Yes, let's rebuild the wall, and now it's time for construction. So we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3 this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. If not, we're going to have it up on the screen as we go through it. And here's, here's what would be valuable for you. If you do have your Bible, to get a kind of bird's eye view of this, um, this chapter. We're not going to read through it verse by verse. Um, and I want to give you just a general idea of how this chapter is going to go by reading to you just a few verses. Starting in verse 1. Then Eliashib the high priest, arose with his brothers, uh, the priest, and he built the sheep gate. They consecrated it, hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hanel. Next to him, the man of Jericho built. Next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Verse 3. Now the sons of Hasaniah built a fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Next to him, Meramoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, made repairs. Next to him, Meshulam, the son of Berechai, the son of Meshebel, made repairs. Next to him, Zadok, the son of Bena, also made repairs. Moreover, next to them, the Tecomites made repairs. You can see how this whole chapter is going to go, right? It's, uh, it would be a little hard to read through the entire chapter from the pulpit. And I wouldn't do that because, as I've already done, I would butcher the names that were there, okay? Um, it would also get to be a little much. It could be actually overwhelming and underwhelming and all at the same time. Overwhelming because there, there's a lot of names in this chapter A lot of places mentioned, a lot of words repeated, and it it all kind of just jumbles into the next verse. And so it's interesting, however, that you see Nehemiah, he's, he's, he's a detailed guy, and we would hope for some detail in some of his other writings. But here we get detail in places that we think, well, maybe we don't necessarily need it. But however, this is what we have. It, perhaps it's underwhelming because maybe you look at this entire chapter, those of you have your whole the, the whole chapter in front of you, and you're looking at it, and you may think to yourself, you never maybe say it out loud, but you may think, man, this chapter's kind of a waste of space. I mean, the, the holy pages of this book perhaps would be better... Uh, maybe having something you know miraculous in it, or or maybe save a few more pages for Jesus in the New Testament. I mean, what? Why in the world would this chapter, all this building, be there in the first place? Well, as we've seen through the book of Ezra and the list that we went through there, there's a reason that it's there. We know that all Scripture is profitable for all things, and so if you're going to notice and look down to these names, it's not just a random collection of names. There's details given about them. Details of what they did. And sure, there are a lot of repeated words, but there is some organization to it. So, these details that we're going to jump into day, today, we want to understand just a little bit more. So, we want to figure out okay, chapter three, what's going to happen in this chapter? What is going on? Well, what's going on is it's an extension of what we saw all the way back in Ezra 1-1, which is an extension of what Jeremiah spoke about, and that was that God would bring his people back into the land, and they would rebuild it. So, the people's words turn from just mere words to action, and the project begins. This entire chapter, the whole chapter, is about building and repairing the wall from start to finish. nothing else there. It's about building and repairing. Build is used at least seven times this chapter. And it talks about restoring things back to order. Making it permanent. Repair, if you're looking through your Bible, repair is going to dominate this chapter. It's used 37 times in 32 verses. It's a general term just really meaning to make firm or to make strong. Not to necessarily rebuild as it was. Because this rebuild is going to be a little bit different. There's going to be some spots that were not put back to its original. So, as we read through this chapter, we are going to start to find places that sound familiar. And there's going to be a reason why. Look back into chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. This is what we went through last time. This is Nehemiah. He's going out and he's going to be inspecting things. He says, so I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto to the refuge gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. Its gates were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate. You we. They they look familiar because you've already heard about them. And now what we see in chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, you can see the valley gate. You can see the Refuse gate. You can see the fountain gate. All those things that he saw were in disrepair are now being repaired. And so we see these places that are recognizable. It's a big, big project that Nehemiah has. A big project that needs big coordination, a big organization. And as one commentator points out, he says, he assigned, and he, meaning Nehemiah, assigned everyone a specific place to work. This coordination stands out in the phrases like, next to him, or next to them, or beside them. And you can see that as you go through the the chapter. So-and-so is working next to so-and-so, and and they were working next to so so 28 times in this chapter that is said. Which means, there were a lot of people involved. In this project and in the repairs. But who were these people? Look back into verse 1. It says, then Elisha, who? The high priest. The high priest starts all of this. The high priest is the one who's in a noble position. And he is not too high for anything. He's not too high for work. He works. He leads by example. Takes takes part in his and, and, and takes control of his, his little spot on the wall, right? He, he, he leads his people. And there are people from all kinds of walks of life as you look through this chapter. There were perfumers that you see. They were the ones that made the ointments. There were goldsmiths. Not the goldsmiths. You weren't there. But there were goldsmiths there. Refining, right? They were working. They were doing their, their, their work. There were officials And and what this means is they were local government leaders that took part in this work. So from the highest to the lowest, there were uh, other priests and Levites and even temple servants. I mean, a project like this would require everyone to simply be on board. And now, of course, not everyone was on board. If we look into verse 5, we see not everyone is on board. But as you can tell, a majority of the people were ready to help, And not just people that lived inside the walls. Verse 5, moreover, next to him, the Jacobites made repairs. Chicoa was a small town that's six miles south of Bethlehem and 11 miles away from Jerusalem. There were people that lived, and, and, and even more than this, just the, the Chicoas, that lived from outside the walls. They came and they helped and they all helped together. See, this wasn't just a random group of people. It became... A family affair. Men served and built alongside of their sons. Sons served alongside and labored alongside of their brothers. And then, here's something that you don't see every day. Look in verse 12. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the official of the half of the district of Jerusalem, made repairs, he and his daughters. You don't see that very often. That daughters were helping out here. The entire family, maybe this guy didn't have sons, maybe the daughters were just like, look, we want to get, you don't hear about that. The whole family was involved, they were getting everybody into the project. It was all hands on decks. Goals were set, commitments were made, and now they were putting their hands to the work ahead of them. And again, it wasn't just words, it wasn't just a decision, it was a commitment, and they're following through on it. So, we know who did it. But how did they do it? How would they they tackle such a big project? We're going to see a few things that help them out through this project. And the first one is teamwork. I've entitled this sermon, It Takes Teamwork to Make the Dream Work. That's kind of a corny statement, I guess. When I told my uh, brother-in-law the title, he laughed at me. I thought, well, I don't know if that's very good. But the statement's true. I mean, it's catchy, it's corny, but it's true. Nehemiah knew that he was not going to be able to do this all on his own. It was impossible. God had called him to a project, but it, was, it, it, it wasn't all on him to do it. And we know that he realized he wasn't alone back when he prayed this prayer in chapter 1, verse 11. Oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. He's talking about himself. And the prayer of your servants. Plural. It's because he believed, as Spurgeon points out, that he was not alone in his prayers. That there were other people that shared the same passion, that wanted to see the the walls of Jerusalem be rebuilt. And it turns out it was true, he was not alone. However, it was up to him to cast the vision. And the vision is that the people would work side by side with each other. And that they would rely on each other. It would be this form of teamwork. But one thing important to note about teamwork, and you know this, is that teamwork is not always equal. Anyone ever work in a group at school? I hated group projects. Uh, There was always the slacker, right? And there was always the overachiever. Uh, I was in the middle, probably more towards the slacker. uh, But... uh, (laughs) usually one person that just kind of takes the bulk of the load. Right? Being on a team doesn't necessarily mean everything is going to be equal. It may seem as if others are doing more, and the natural tendency is like, man, I, I know I'm doing more than, than this person. And look, it may be true. You may be doing more. Look at verse 4 in chapter 3. Next to them, Merimoth made repairs. Now look further in verse 21. After him... Marimath, the same guy, the son of Uriah, repaired another section. This guy is doing double work here. He, he is signing up for, for doing more than he absolutely has to. And there are a couple of instances in this chapter of groups doing multiple jobs. Maybe he was doing more just because he was able to. Maybe there are some other people that, that, that couldn't necessarily do the work. Maybe he just said yes because he's a go-getter and he wanted to get it done. Or it was just, it had to happen and so he stepped up. The the point is this. Teamwork is not always equal. There will always be some that that maybe you see are doing less than than what you're doing. and, 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 And hopefully maybe that's just for a season. And then the roles may reverse. But the point is this. It took teamwork to make this project happen. This wall would not have been built if it was just for Nehemiah. They needed teamwork. And they couldn't accomplish it on their own. Along the same lines of teamwork, there's something I want you to look at. Verses 23, 28, and 30. We're going to put it up on the screen here. And I want you to see uh, what is true and what is uh, repeated in each verse here. What do you see? Where are they making these repairs? Where? Yeah, beside or in front of Their house. Okay, this gets interesting. There are seven private residences that are listed in this chapter. It's interesting because out of all the different places and towers and gates, these homes are mentioned. What we've come to realize about Nehemiah is Nehemiah is no dummy. He he, he understands how things work. He's an organized sort of a guy. He strategically placed people there for certain reasons. I mean, think of it. Think of your home. Okay? Think of think of how much pride you have in good good pride that you have in your home. The time and the energy that you put into your home, you do it because that's where you live. You're invested, you're personally invested. And when you are personally invested, you work harder for it. You know this. You sacrifice for it, you're willing to, to fight for it because it's it's your home. You take better care of your things than other people because they're they're yours. They mean more to you. See, Nehemiah, I'm sure, was aware of all of these things and knew that there would become a time when hard times would come. We understand this. Hard times come in our own lives and hard times are going to come when we jump into chapter 4 of of Nehemiah. Nehemiah understood that and he realized that when they would be under attack, they would be less likely to run and to hide and abandon their posts because they'd be abandoning their homes. They'll stand in their fight because it's, that's my house. It becomes a personal responsibility in that. You know your house is going to be taken care of because it's, it's your own. Well, I mean, the bank owns it, but you own it kind of coequally with them, right? You're, you're invested in it. And again, when you invest in something, it's worth fighting for. You'll go that extra mile for it. See, they accomplished what they accomplished because each one took personal responsibility for their section. Of the wall, whether it was in front of their house or not. You know, not only does it take teamwork and personal responsibility, look at verse 20. It took zeal to get this job done. This term zeal is to be to be kindled or or to burn for this guy that was mentioned here. And by the way, it's only mentioned of one person in this entire chapter. So I don't know if it was only one guy that was up there working with fire or if, you know, maybe there were others. But it's said of this guy that he gets up there and he he works with his zeal. He's got this burning passion and and we know what happens with a spark, right? No one takes a spark to get a fire going. I mean, perhaps this was something that could be contagious. In the King, King James Version, it says that he earnestly repaired. Meaning, he did it diligently. It wasn't a drudgery. It wasn't like, oh man... Going to go work on the wall again today. It was something that he wanted to do. Something that not only was he willing to do, but he was eager to do it. And, and the sense of zeal also brings with it the sense of vibrancy. I mean, look at this chapter. There was action going on, there, there, there are things getting done, people working together. I mean, that's inspiring. And it makes us want to become part of a project like that. And so if we're here this morning, we understand we are part of the work that God is doing. You're part of the project. As we're going to see later, maybe you don't understand just how big of a part of that project that you are. Yes, life is going to be challenging at times, but we understand we're not alone. We need to work with a sense of zeal and vibrancy and together in a sense of Unity. Unity is all the way through this chapter. I mean, I know the, the, the chapter is, is it's kind of clunky and awkward and the names and locations and the repetitions of words, but there's, there's, a, there's a rhythm to it. You know? This guy worked alongside of this guy. And he worked alongside of this guy. And he took care of his house. And he, he worked alongside. There, there's kind of a, a, a rhythm to it. <clears throat> they were working side by side, getting things done, working as a team, they had unity. Unity, I find, is a thing that is really valuable. It's valuable in our lives. Take, for instance, your marriages. I mean, you want to be unified in your marriage. You want to be together in this thing called life, even though it's hectic and it's busy and it's messy. But you, you're on the same page in general. You have this sense of unity. But man, isn't there times when it feels like maybe we're not on the same page? I mean, maybe there's times when maybe there's some arguments because, look, marriage is a relationship and relationships, I don't care how strong they are, they always have issues. There's always going to be problems and be careful, gentlemen, as you start to shake your head. You don't want to get the elbow to the ribs. It's true though, right? But just because you fight and you argue and everybody does, maybe you have trouble communicating, it doesn't mean that you are not working towards the same goal. See, here's what unity is. Unity is a state of being united, but more importantly, being joined as a whole. Unity is the state of being united and joined as a whole. Nowhere in that definition does it say you're going to be without fault or without issue. Look, I'm sure that there was one day, Merimoth and Mershalem, they were working together. Merimoth says to Mershalem, Hey, hold this nail and I'll pound it in. And, you know, uh, Merrimoth missed the nail and hit, you know, hit, hit this guy and, and he had a problem with it. I'm sure there were issues. I'm sure that someone was standing there and a, and a, and a big wind comes up and the person downwind was like, whew, I don't think you showered this week. What is going on? Perhaps Marimoth turns to his friend and says, hey, I need a 3H wrench. And whew, man, a tic-tac wouldn't kill you. I mean... I'm sure there were issues in and amongst this group. I mean, how can you have that big of, of, of a group of people and not have these issues fighting back and forth? And look, there's no doubt in my mind there were problems. There were issues. But what you see is you see unity. You see they were joined together for one common goal. And that common goal, the immediate goal, was to finish the wall. No matter what it took, we're going to finish <laughs> That wall, they had a sense of unity because of that immediate goal. But that unity was further strengthened because of their ultimate goal, and their ultimate goal was to glorify God. We see we know what happened. We know how they did it, but why did they do it? Why did they come together for this project? Why did they put everything on the line? Why did they, they make the sacrifices they did? <coughs> Look, see, it's not about just working together. But what are we working towards? Sure, we can accomplish a task by working together, but it's the goal that's important. We can talk about principles of teamwork, but the teamwork is predicated on what the team is working for. There were people that worked all throughout the Bible as teams, and they weren't working for the right thing. Look at the Tower of Babel. I mean, they worked as a team, but they were working selfishly. For their own goal, their own glory. I mean, you look into the wilderness with the nation of Israel and the golden calf incident. What did they want? They wanted to glorify themselves. And and so they worked good as a team, but what were they working for? You want to look at a positive uh, 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 example of teamwork and working together and working for the right purpose. You look into the New Testament. You look at the, the concerted effort of the disciples as a teamwork. Yes, they were all a bunch of misfits, but they were a team. God gave them a vision, and they began to see it through. For what purpose? It wasn't for their own glory, because we know that they ended up being persecuted and killed for their faith. No, it's for God's glory. And then look at what happened. When they worked as a team and they worked for God's glory, what happened? The church exploded. There's no other explanation for what happened with Christianity from that point, other than the fact of the resurrection, they preach Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Look, Nehemiah realized the goal. Nehemiah realized the The purpose of what the the reason why he was going back to the land, the reason why he was trying to rally the people, the reason why that they would rebuild the walls. We know this from his actions and reactions in chapter one. We know it from the reactions of the people in chapter two. As we get into chapter three, we see the high priests are all about consecrating this work to God. And we're going to see later on in chapter 12. They're going to have a big old party when this thing is done. And it's going to be for God's glory. They're going to thank Him and they're going to praise Him. They did not lose sight of the purpose. You know, it's when we take our eyes off of the purpose. Off of the reason that why we we're here that we run into problems. That's when it happens. You know, the reason that we have... This church, the reason why we meet together, that we, we have our different programs, we have nursery and preschool, and, and we have these great facilities, we've got a youth uh, ministry program, we go on missions trips, we have the women's retreat and seasoned Soldiers and Children's Church, IBT's, I mean, we have life groups, and all of the reason that we have all of those things, it's for the glory of God. That's the reason. And if it's for another reason, we're simply dismissing the mark. Yes, we want to have nice facilities. Because it looks good. And it does. We, 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 have, we have a nursery. Caitlin, Caitlin works hard in the nursery. And we work in a nursery. Why? Because we want our littles to be taken care of. We want our parents to be able to come into the sanctuary. And to worship without having to worry about them. We have little land preschool. Why do we have that? We have that so that we can expose young people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And their families. We go on mission trips Why? So we can share the gospel. We do all these things. And they're all good. But all those things are secondary To the fact that we do it for the glory and the honor of our God. We do it for Him. He is the reason what we do. And so we come together for that purpose. And when we come together for that purpose, there is no telling what God can accomplish through us. I want you just briefly look up at the screen here. I'm going to put up the list of names. We're not going to try to go through these and pronounce them. Okay, I'll I'll save you the, the pain of that. Just kind of look through them. This isn't a random group of names. These were actual people. People that dedicated themselves to God. People that day and night worked hard and worked under the fear of attack. People that worked side by side. They were sure, I'm sure, people that they worked by that they didn't even know. Perhaps they didn't even like. Yet they worked side by side with them day and night. They worked and they labored. And think about it. We just entered 2018, and we are still reading this list of names. This recording happened back in 445 BC. That means over 2,400 years later, almost 900,000 days later, we are talking about this group of people and what God accomplished in and through them. It's pretty amazing. This past week, I was in Laura's office, and I... I knew we had some uh, photo albums in the office. Uh, some of you don't, don't know this, but there are old photo albums in there. Uh, I go back to the 80s, um, and uh, I was looking for something specific, and I opened up and found some interesting pictures. Um, and I found pictures of when this church was being built. And I want you to see just a, a couple of these pictures. Um, <clears throat> There you go. This was they're clearing the land. I mean, the, the, the land was just all trees. They're, they're clearing the land. Go to the next one. They're, they're putting up the walls. You have the one where they're pushing up the walls. Okay, stay on this one just for just a little bit. That list of names that you saw were real people. You know, there are people in this picture. Real people. people that were part of building this church. With names like Miles, Kennedy, Barker, Harris, Brown, Julian, McNeil, Moore, Carlo. Perhaps a lot of names you don't even recognize, right? There are other names there that were there that you may recognize. Berga, Rainer, Tolliver, McCauley. They were around when the wood was being put up. The walls and these rafters. The blood, the sweat, the tears. The love that went into this place. And now what's interesting... And I know I'm a little out of order, but if you can go back to that, uh, the picture of the tree. And names are being added there. I don't know if you see it. I don't know if you can see your name in this logo. But names are being added. You're a part of what God is doing. You're a part of what Jesus is building here in this church. I mean, look around you. Look at what has been built. And and while it's just a building, I would say that anything done for the glory of God as their prime reason and motivating factor is not just anything. That is something. And it's something that that is even more amazing than than, than 30 acres of land being donated. There's something even more amazing than a, a small church on the eastern shore of Maryland building a church, not just building to it, but you've seen the different additions that we put on. There's something even more amazing than having all of this and being completely debt-free. And it's this. It's the lives that have been touched and changed because of it. I also found another picture that I want to put up. I found this picture in the office this week. This is taken in January of 1993. 25 years ago. This was the first sign that was put up on this property before all this was here. That skinny little punk kid that actually has hair, that's me. That's interesting, right? You know who was behind that camera? Mr. Gary Burrow. He and I did that project together. I didn't even live here. I was still living in Maine. I was just here visiting... Of course, it's January, you can see I'm warm coming from the Arctic North. How could anyone have known what would happen after that? You know, Gary and Sue donated this land. The Lord used them both to continue and continues to work through Miss Sue to affect the lives of people around them for eternity. Their son was not only the youth pastor for many years here, but he has now gone on to be a pastor with village missions. And the foundations were laid here at this church. And I could go through a number of names. Some that you will know, some that you wouldn't. That have been affected by what has happened here at Y Bible. What God has built here, that you are a part of here at Y Bible. And that skinny little punk kid went on to different places, made many mistakes, experienced many blessings and hurts that would one day bring <sighs> him back here. And it was because God used his people to build the church And this little church here would impact many lives, your life, my life, and many others, for God's glory. And I will tell you this, Mr. Gary would have been the first to tell you, the land, the building, the people, it's all for God. And it's God that is the foundation that we build on. It's all for the glorification of God. That's why it exists. Do you realize that that's why you as a church body exists? That's why you sitting here this morning... Whether you're, you're sitting here this morning or you're, you're listening online, that's why you exist. You exist for His glory. And when we rally around that, there is no telling what God can accomplish through us because of Him. And that excites me. It excites me when I think about our life groups that you just heard about this morning. Because, because I see life being built together. Relationships being formed and strengthened so that we may work together to see that our lives glory bring glory to God. Is there a lot of work to be done? In our church and in our own lives, you know that there is. We can't even begin to think that we have arrived and there's so much more to be done. Will the work be difficult? Absolutely, yes. Work is rarely easy. It's why they call it work. But as we have mentioned before, anything worth doing is going to be difficult. Are we going to have issues with each other? Yeah. There are going to be times when you think that uh, something I said is just way out of left field. You may have an issue with me. I may have put my my mouth again. I may have an issue with you. You can look around the sanctuary right now and there's a good chance at some point somebody around you is going to annoy you, frustrate you, hurt you in some sort of way. It's inevitable. We're people. We're flawed human beings. We, we may make mistakes, but here's what I found. It's how we respond to those mistakes and those hurts and those frustrations that tell us why we are in this in the first place and who we are working to please, and it is God. You know what we need to do? We need to die to ourselves Because we are, we are in Christ, new creatures, and we need to stop acting like the old ones. Life can be difficult, but it can be intensely rewarding and immensely glorifying to God. And, and I know that's what each one of you here this morning once, because why would you be here? Why would you be here? You see, the people in our story today, they got it. They were not perfect. They fought. We know that. We understand human issues. But all these things that we've looked at today happen as an example so that we can learn from it. We can learn from this past. We can also learn from what we see and what we can touch and feel all around us. Look at what God is accomplishing in our midst today. Look at what he is building. Look at the lives that have been touched and changed. And it is because God worked through his people. And his people said yes. They worked together side by side. They worked. They made repairs. They helped each other. They took responsibility as well. And now you may be here this morning. You say, okay, I'm fairly new here. Maybe you didn't see your name up on, the, on there. Or maybe you're like, I, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to give you just two things as we finish up here. And two, two ways that you can just join in where God is working. Because God is working and He wants you to be a part of it. You can join in here at this church. There are so many ways that you can get involved. You can volunteer at Awana. You can volunteer up there in the sound booth. You can come to our, our youth ministry program. Just invest. When you are invested, you, 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 you see it as important. You work hard. Today is Life Group Sunday. You can go out of these doors and into the lobby and sign up for a life group. And not just sign up, but commit. Be a part of it. Follow through. So there are many ways that you can say, you know what? God is working. I want to get involved around him. There's There's another way you can do that. You can do it here at church. You can do it at home in your family's life. You can set the priorities of what's going to be most important in your own home. You can pray with your family, with your kids or your spouse. And here's a neat thing. You can, as a family, minister together. What a really neat thing. I know some people go to the, uh, uh, the shelter uh, uh, food pantry on, on Friday nights and, and administer as a family. We do family missions trips every year. Why? Because we feel it's important for the family to minister together. You can sign up. You can stay after church today and hear about the family missions trip. You could go on, you could say, you know what, maybe I can't do it this summer, but 2019, when you guys go out of the country, and we will, maybe you can be a part of that. Maybe you're like, I don't know about those things, but I want to be a part of it. You know how you can be a part of what God is doing? Connect with each other. Be intentional about what we do. Look, we are Christians. That means something and our faith should be lived out loud. Here's what I know. Regardless of what work is being done, where it is being done, you need to join in and lend a hand. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. And I want to leave you with this today. God is working. You cannot argue with that. God is working in our midst, and He wants you to join Him. And when we join Him, we understand we are joining a team. A team works best with unity. When each one senses their own responsibility, and that work is to be carried out with a sense of vibrancy, which, by the way, is contagious. Because when we join our God in His service, we're not joining for our glory. We're joining for His glory. And we're working for His glory fame and to spread his name. And i tell you, when we say yes to that, God can, and I believe will do amazing <coughs> things. Will you pray with me? Our God, we are in awe of you this morning. We are in awe of what you are able to do. Lord, you are all powerful. Lord, you have chosen for some reason, and the reason I know is to to glorify yourself, but you've chosen to to work in and through us. What an amazing thing. Lord, we see and and we saw in our story today what, what it takes to work together as a team. Lord, I pray for all of those things. Lord, I pray for each person in this room as they are a part of what you are doing here. Lord, may we jump in. May we join in. May we make a commitment today that says, you know what, from this point forward, I'm going to be part of that work that God is doing. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be easy. But Lord, when we do it for your glory, you just are honored. That's why we exist. That's why we live. I thank you so much for the gifts that you give us. And most importantly, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. For we are... Just so grateful for who you are. We pray now as we get ready to leave these, th- through these doors. Lord, that we will take what we've heard. Your words, Father. Your challenge. They came from, from your word. or maybe it's something that, that we can use to springboard us into working in whatever way that you have for us. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. And we ask now that you dismiss us with your blessing in your name. let stand.